We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in the Gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 18. We've spent a couple of weeks in this passage, and today we'll, we'll close out our, uh, our study of this passage. So let's begin reading in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I want you to notice the statement we find in verse number 23, when the Word of God tells us that the things which we have read about in this passage are in direct fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave Isaiah. When he said in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. We've been looking at this theme for the past two weeks, and now as we've entered into this third week, God with us. That is the message of Christmas. That is the meaning of Christmas, that God is with us. That God, first of all, came to us. He came to us in our sin. He came to us in our sorrow. He came to us in our despair. He did not leave us here alone. God came to us. And then we find here in these, in these words of, of Matthew in verse 23 that this name Emmanuel means God with us. Not only did he come to us, but he came to be with us. He came to be with us in our sin and in our suffering. He came to identify with us. The Bible said he is touched with a feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are Christ identified with us. But not only does he identify with us, he intervened for us. He stepped into our sin and our sorrow and our despair and he laid down his life for us. He made the payment for our sin. 
He died on the cross. He arose again. Then he ascended into heaven. He departed from us, yet he remained with us. God came to us. God with us. And this morning, I want you to see just one final thought from this passage. Just two words, if you're looking for a title this morning, here they are, with God. With God. God came to us. God was and is with us. In order that you and I could be with him, with God. That's what we have to celebrate this Christmas. That the Son of God came to us. That he came to be with us. And that one day, thanks be unto God, we will be with God forevermore. That's the greatest gift of all, isn't it? This gift of eternal life, which is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, I want us to pray together. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts as we look at this passage. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. May we be encouraged. May we be instructed. May we be convicted. And I pray that the Lord Jesus would be pleased with all things. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want to give you three thoughts this morning as we think about this truth. The first thought we find in John chapter 14 and verse number one. In fact, We'll draw all of these thoughts from this passage, John chapter 14 and verse number one. It is one that we often hear read. It is one that many of you have committed to memory because it, like the 23rd Psalm, is a very comforting passage. In John chapter number 14, the word of God says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to his disciples because the time is at hand. The time of his death. The time when he would go to the cross and bear our sins and suffer and die. He is preparing them for that truth. We have to remember this. They forsook all to follow him. And for three and a half years they have followed the Messiah. The King following the king into his kingdom. And though he had tried to prepare them, though he had tried to tell them many times that the kingdom that he was preparing them for was not of that earth, not of this earth, and not of this time, and that this kingdom would require his death. The disciples often did not get it. No matter how many times he tried to tell them, they just didn't get it. Now he's telling them the time is at hand and he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to comfort them. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Notice the next two words. I go. 
I go. Those were the two words that would have troubled their hearts. I go. They had been with him for three and a half years. Now he's leaving them. I want you to know, as we think about this passage, I, I want you to see, first of all, that he went away for a time. He went away for a time. He said, I go. I go to prepare a place for you. You see, he came to them and he was with them, but it was needful for him to leave them. Thus he said, I go. He went in death and in his death, he made the atonement for our sins. He paid for your sin and mine. The righteous sacrifice of the blood of Christ was the only thing that could atone for your sin and mine. He suffered our judgment, our hell. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered for us on the cross. And so he was going away through his death. We know that on the third day he arose again from the tomb and from the dead and he secured our victory. He ensured that his believers, those who trusted in him, would have everlasting life. He secured our victory. But then later, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. He departed from them. And he currently ministers for us. As we learned last week, he who identifies with us, he who is with us. Not only do, did we find that he identifies with us in our suffering and our, our sorrow, not only did we see that he intervened for us in our sin, but we saw that he intercedes for us. And currently, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, while he remains with us, at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and preparing for us a place. Can you imagine how wonderful heaven's going to be? A place that Jesus has prepared just for us. He went away for a time. The second thing I want you to note in this passage is that he is coming again soon. He went away for a time, but he is coming again soon. Notice in verse number 3 of John chapter 14, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Friends, I want you to know that Jesus has kept every promise he's ever made. And this is one that he will not fail to keep. He said, I am coming again. And when I come again, I will receive you unto myself. In Acts chapter number one, in verse number nine, the Bible said that when Jesus ascended, the men that were there, those disciples that were there, were looking steadfastly into the heavens. And the angel of the Lord spoke. And the Bible said, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, 
which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He said, fellas, just the same way that you saw him ascend up into heaven, uh, you're going to see him come again. I want you to know that Jesus has made a promise to us that he will come again. And Peter warned us that in the last days that scoffers would come in 2 Peter chapter number 3. In verse number 3, he said, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Oh, you know the scoffers, don't you? That's those who question the Bible, who question the Lord, who mock and ridicule his word and his church, who, who make fun of, of, of those who celebrate the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Christ. The scoffers are everywhere in our culture today. I met one of them as a student at the University of Tennessee, a Western civilization teacher who had the audacity to tell us that Christianity had little or no impact on Western culture. And yet he had a job as a professor. And he he mocked and ridiculed the claim that Jesus was coming again. He talked about the various movements uh, through the years and the groups that had looked for the coming of the Lord only to be disappointed. He didn't realize that Peter knew him by name and called him out in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said there were scoffers that will come. And here's what those scoffers will say. You see, had I read this passage that morning, I could have said, do you know that Peter wrote about you? And I read his words this morning. Dr. So-and-so, do you know that you're in the Bible? Here's what the scoffers will say in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. There are those who would say, if he was going to come, he would have already come. So obviously they conclude he's not coming. But then Peter gives us some light in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. In other words, he hasn't forgotten. God is on time. God is at work. He's not a slacker. He's not slack concerning his promise. What work is he doing? It is the work of redemption. It is the work that he has committed this church to be embarked upon. The work of the gospel, the ministry of the gospel. We are to occupy till he comes. We're not just simply to batten down the hatches and hold on until Jesus comes. We are to work the works of him that sent us while it is day. For the night is coming when no man can work. But the night hasn't come yet. The day is still here and we have the opportunity to labor. So may God help us to be faithful. Peter said, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But here's, here it is. He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know what God is doing? He is waiting on souls to be saved and come to him. He is at work to draw all men to himself. And once the final convert of Christianity has come, we'll hear the trumpet sound. But it hasn't happened yet. Oh, it's getting closer, isn't it? Now, there are two phases to his coming. The first phase is the rapture of the church. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13. 
The Bible says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He's speaking of those who are dead. He said that ye sorrow not. He's, obviously, he's speaking about believers who have died. Ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We sorrow at the death of a loved one, at the death of a Christian. But our sorrow is different from the death uh, that we might sorrow of an unbeliever because we don't have assurance or any promise that we will ever see them again. But for a believer, we know that we will see them again in heaven. So though we sorrow, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You see, the first phase of the second coming of Christ begins with the rapture of the church, the called out assembly. The graves are going to open. The dead in Christ are going to rise. Now, they're already with the Lord, but they're coming back just for a moment to bust out of the grave. God is going to demonstrate that he's done a great work. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the, in the clouds, and we shall be with the Lord for all eternity. What a blessing. That's the first phase, the rapture of the church. And that begins then the seven-year tribulation period. And in heaven, we will stand before Christ at the judgment seat and give an account to the Lord. But on earth, the great tribulation will occur, a seven-year tribulation period, three and a half years of peace and prosperity, and then three and a half years of trial and tribulation like the world has never known. Read Matthew chapter 24. And you'll find the events that will unfold. Read the book of the Revelation, the seals that are opened, the judgments that are poured out upon the earth in the great tribulation. At the end of that seven-year period, the armies of the earth, the nations of the earth will gather against the people of God, Israel. You see, everything we see happening in Israel is in accordance to what God has told us would happen. It's a precursor to the coming of the Lord. The nations will gather themselves against the nation of Israel and come against him at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And Zechariah tells us exactly what will happen in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 3. The word of God says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus is coming back to. He's coming back. He'll touch down on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. The mountain is literally going to come apart when Jesus stands upon it. And the Bible tells us that the rule of Jesus will then be established. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. 
or excuse me, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. When Jesus comes, he is coming to establish his millennial kingdom. He will rule and reign upon this earth as king for 1,000 years. A time of, of, of prosperity, a time of blessing, a time of equity, a time of justice like this world has never known and will never know again. Jesus will rule in righteousness upon the throne of David. But at the end of this thousand-year period, there will still be those who hate God, who reject Him, and who rebel against Him. For a thousand years, Satan has been bound. But at the end of this thousand-year period, Satan will be loosed. You say, why would the Lord loose him? Because God is going to receive glory and God is going to bring judgment upon those who hate him. You see, men often say, if only God was fairer, if only things were better, we would bow to him. But the truth of the matter is, they won't. And he's proving that during his millennial reign. And Satan will be able to gather an army. Imagine that after a thousand years of perfect justice and judgment, the love and kindness of our Savior. They'll rebel against him. They've come against him. And he will destroy them with the word of his mouth. And John writes about this in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. Because at the end of that thousand-year period, there is a judgment coming. Not for believers, but for unbelievers, those who have rejected the Lord. And John writes and says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You see, God's keeping records, isn't he? Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, we see here the great resurrection of the dead. These who have rejected the message of the gospel, those who have not come to Jesus, will once again be raised to face the judgment of God. And they will give an account to God for their sins. Their name is not in the book of life. Their deeds are still recorded against them. I'm glad to know that there was a day when I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. My name was written down in the book of life. And all of my wicked deeds were blotted out by the sweet loving blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for me. And when God looks in the record book at my record... What does he see? He doesn't see all the things I've done. No, he doesn't see the sins I've committed. He sees the righteousness of his own dear son that has been imputed to my account. Amen. 
But these are those who rejected Jesus and his sacrifice, and they've died in their sins, and they're going to face an eternity in the lake of fire. And the Bible tells us that after the final judgment, the Lord will create a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21, in verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. You see, soon we'll be with God. And we recognize for that to have happened, he had to go away for a time. But we rest upon the promise that he's made, that he is coming again soon. And after he comes, we see that we shall be with him forever. We shall be with him forever. No more shall we ever part. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse number 3, he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I'm coming again, and I'm going to bring you with me. I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What a wonderful promise. The greatest promise of Christmas is this, that you and I get to be with God for all eternity. Amen. What a glorious thing it's going to be to be with God. In that new heaven and new earth, Peter said it will, the old earth, this earth, and the heavens will melt away with a fervent heat. And God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and we will live upon this new earth. And John wrote of it, he said in, in, again in Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And that new Jerusalem is going to descend from heaven to this earth. John uh, continued to write in verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Well, what kind of place is this going to be? Well, John describes it for us in, in the remainder of this chapter, but he describes the dimensions and he describes the materials of the city. But let me just talk to you about the difference that God is going to make for us in it. In verse number four, he said, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There are no more tears in heaven. To be with God means we won't cry again. Now, sometimes we cry tears of joy. I don't know how we'll express our joy with praise, obviously, to God. But he's speaking here of tears of sorrow, tears of disappointment, the tears of hurt, the tears of regret, the tears of grief over our sin. God will wipe them all away. It'll all be forgotten. It will all be made right. There are no more tears. There's no more death. Revelation 21 and verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor cry. No more trips to the funeral. 
no more doctor's diagnosis. No more estate planning. No more goodbyes. No more parting. No more death. No sorrow as a result. No crying as a result. The Bible then goes on to say, neither shall there be any more pain. No more pain. I have known people through the years, and perhaps you have too, who have suffered from chronic pain. They've gone through great periods of it. In fact, we have people in our church, even at this very hour, who are dealing with pain. And they're just praying for some relief. It's some relief. The Bible says we'll not face any more pain there. No more hurts. No more severances in our relationships. No more bodily aches and pains. Oh, it's going to be a glorious place to be with God, isn't it? All things are new, for the former things are passed away, he says in verse 4. And he that sat upon the throne beset, beset, behold, I make all things new. I want to tell you, one moment in eternity will undo all the wrongs we've ever suffered in this world. Amen. Paul said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When we get to heaven, we won't remember the bad word that somebody said to us or the unkind gesture. We won't remember the hurts and the pains and the offenses. No, we'll be with God and all will be forgotten and all will be forgiven and all will be made new. Praise be unto God. He said, I make all things new. Sometimes our lives get so messy, so dirty, so defiled. Things get so old. We long for something new. I want you to know we're going to a place where the newness will never wear off. He said, I make all things new. Oh, it's going to be a blessed thing to be with him forever. In Revelation 22, he says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the tree of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. You know, Adam and Eve, they got to see that tree, but they never did eat of it, did they? And since the time they were cast out of the garden, no one has seen that tree, but one day we're going to see it. But not only are we going to see it, we're going to get to eat from it. It's glorious fruits. It's leaves, the Bible tells us, for the healing of the nations. Verse number 3 of Revelation 22, there's no more curse. There should be no more curse. No more thorns in the ground. No more laboring and toiling the sweat of our brow. No more curse. No more curse within us. That weight of sin, that carnal flesh that pulls us away from God, that corrupts our thoughts and, and defiles our attitude, it's gone. We'll walk in perfect harmony and fellowship with him and with one another. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. 
and they shall see his face. Here's the crowning joy of heaven. They shall see his face. Oh, we'll get to see Jesus. We'll get to see his face. We'll get to be with him. Verse 5, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. It never gets dark in heaven, friends. There's no night there. You see, for those of us who've had loved ones go before us, we wait day after day after day. We go through some weary, lonely nights. But in heaven, it's all one big day. And we get there all at the same time on the same day. We'll see our loved ones again. What a glorious thought. And they shall reign forever and ever. Not only is there no more night, but there's no more endings. It will never come to an end. In this life, if something good happens to us, we begin to, we, we, we at first begin to rejoice in it. And then a few minutes into it, we begin to think, yeah, but it's all going to end soon. And we really don't enjoy the blessings for worrying about when they're going to end. But in heaven, when we get there, we can rest in knowing it's never going to end. It's never going to get worse. It's only going to get better. And then John says in Revelation 22, he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. Aren't you glad to know that? These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, he said, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the saying of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. You see, heaven's going to be a glorious place. And when we hear about it, what should we do? Well, we should fall down and worship. We should thank God. We should rejoice in all that he's done for us. And may God help us to do so today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received this gift. Heaven is not your home. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He came to save you and give you eternal life. He came to del deliver you from your sin and to give you this home in heaven. And all you must do to receive it is believe on his name. Paul declares for us the way of salvation. Remember now, Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way. You want to know how to get to heaven? Come to me, he said. If you want to know the truth, come to me, he said. If you want to receive life, come to me. How do we come? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 how we can receive this gift of salvation. He says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He tells us how that we can be saved, simply by confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And that confession flows from a heart of belief, a heart that recognizes that we're sinners on our way to a devil's hell for all eternity, a heart that recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die on the cross for us, a tongue that confesses that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that acknowledges that He arose the third day to give us eternal life. And if we call upon Him, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's according to His promise. So receive the gift. If you haven't received it, come today and receive it. Ask Jesus to save you. Confess that you're a sinner. Confess that he's the Son of God. And put your faith in him. Call unto him, and he will save you. If you're a Christian, oh, isn't it good to think about what the Lord has done for you? And remember the promises that he's made? And to rejoice in them. And then to go out and tell other people about them. That's what the world needs. That's what Christmas is all about. May God help us. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you. And thank you once again for listening.